And so welcome to Amazing Love on this Good Friday. It is good to be here. It's good to gather. If you've been to Good Friday before, uh, you know that this is a very different service that we hold at Amazing Love. It's called a tenebrae service. And this reminds me of my Latin background. Uh, tenebrae means darkness. And in the service, we're going to move from light to darkness and end with almost, almost a pitch black environment. This reminds us the day Jesus died. And when the light of the world was put to death, so also creation mirrored that and the sky turned dark. You're going to have a lot of different experiences. You can hear the nails on the cross as a confession. You can write your name and know that you're forgiven. Uh, You're going to have an opportunity to hear a symbol, a remembrance of the closing of the tomb, which we call the strepitus. That will be later in the service. You'll see a candle that uh, comes in at the very end that reminds us we have hope. That we know what's coming three days later after Good Friday, a much more joyous celebration called Easter, the culmination of victory. But it's so good to celebrate with you. It's so good to be in this bittersweet moment, bitter because Jesus dies and sweet because this means he loves us and it's finished. And so welcome once again. As we begin this evening, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me as we've gathered tonight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we gather on Good Friday, I cannot help but think of the words of the song, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. The words that say, if you think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here you see its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load, tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Lord, we confess our sins led to this day where you watched your son die. Our sins represent the blackness of this day. But today is a day, a testament of your love and just how far that love would go. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for his cross. Be here now among us and bless our worship in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing our first song, How Deep the Father's Love.
Please be seated. I don't know if anyone was paying attention before the service, but if you were and you were looking up here, you might have noticed me pull my socks up. They had fallen down. And I don't like having fallen down socks. You probably don't like having fallen down socks because it's a sign, well, at least according to what I learned in Zambia, which was not an Africanism, it was a Britishism, that if you want to be ready, you need to pull your socks up. And so I pulled my socks up tonight. I'm ready, and I pray that you're ready. We're going to see some amazing things tonight. We're going to see some things that are painful to observe. We're going to see some things that are heart-wrenching, and at the same time, we're going to see some things that, as Dustin has already mentioned, are the deepest heart-encouraging and hope-giving truths that we find in the entire Bible. And so pull your socks up, maybe not actually physically, pull your socks up in your heart, and let's hear about the seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross. And, and there were seven. If you recall, at the beginning of Lent on a Sunday morning, I was teaching, and I said, you know, the season of Lent is a season of reflection and renewal and preparation. And tonight we arrive at that Place, that very weekend that we've spent 40 or so days preparing for, the weekend that is bracketed by this evening, Good Friday, the story of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for all of us so that we could know that our sins are well and truly forgiven, and then Easter, the great victory, once again to be assured that we are victorious, not only over sin, but the power of death and the devil. Our first reading tonight is, Father, forgive them. And I'm sure that when you think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross, your heart and your mind primarily go to the blood that he shed for you there, the life that he willingly sacrificed for you there so that he could earn and win as our champion, as our substitute, total forgiveness of all our sins. That's what this evening is all about. There's nothing more important than the sacrifice of Jesus' blood and life in order to earn the forgiveness of our sins. With that said, I don't know how often we think about the other sacrifices Jesus made on Good Friday. I'm not trying to horn in on the importance of Jesus' blood and sacrifice of his life. After all, we know that Peter even tells us that it was not with gold or silver that we're redeemed, but with the holy, precious blood of Christ and with his innocent sufferings and death. But I want you to see these words clearly. Father, forgive them. Do you see the sacrifice in those words? That word forgive is actually a picture word in the original language. It means send them away. Send their sins away, for they don't know what they're doing, Father. And I want you to think about what, well, I'll tell you what I would have been thinking hanging on that cross. Lord, 
let their sins cling to them. Lord, make sure that justice is done here. Make sure that they pay for this wrong they've done to me, Father. You are my Father. You are a holy Father. And I trust that you will see to it that these people pay to the very last for what they're doing here. And Jesus, above all, knew all those Old Testament accounts of times when the holy God had exacted discipline and punishment on the world, can think of the flood, even on his own people Israel. But isn't it intriguing? Here's Jesus hanging there, committed to the cross, nails driven through his hands and his feet, not thinking, let justice be done. Not, not praying, Lord, your holy will would say these people should pay with every ounce of their blood and life for what they're doing to me here, but instead saying, Father, these people are foolish. These people have no clue spiritually what they've done here. We see an echo of what Peter preaches on the Pentecost Sunday when he says, do you realize that you crucified the Lord of life? Jesus says, not, Father, may their sins cling to them, but, Father, send their sins far away from them. Forgive them. And I think we would be remiss on a night like tonight not to issue the invitation to all of you to hear those words right down into the depths of your own heart. Because when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was not just talking about the thieves mocking him. He was not just talking about the Roman soldiers who had nailed him to the cross. He was not even just talking about the crowds who had shouted, crucify him, or Pilate, or any of the others that we might think of. Certainly, he was talking about them, but not just about them. He was talking about you and me, who often don't understand in the moment of our own sins what we are doing how we are committing Jesus to the cross. And to us today, Jesus is saying, you are forgiven. I prayed on that cross for you that the Father would send your sins far away. And the invitation is this, by the power of God's word in the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, believe this and believe it is for you. Believe that it is your sins that have been sent away. And whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever hurt you've caused others, whatever hurts others have caused you, please, I beg you, we beg you, believe that this good news gospel message is for you. Father, forgive them, and you are forgiven them. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. We now have the opportunity to recognize our need for forgiveness. It's something we do every week. We just confess our sins so that we can hear that they've been paid for. Feel free to join in our Good Friday confession. Heavenly Father, today, today we, we see, see the, the full, full cost, cost of, of our, our sins. sins. Our sins meant the suffering of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Thank you that he was willing to pay this price. Empower us to remember the cost of sin and lead us to turn from our sins daily. Isaiah has just a memorable picture about the forgiveness of sins. He says, our sins, they were like scarlet. But Jesus Christ has made them white as snow. And you need to know that going out tonight. You don't carry the weight of your sin. You don't carry the stain. No, God sees you as a perfect and a holy child, not because of anything you've done, but all because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You have the right to be called a child of God. We now continue, um, and in our continuing, we're going to turn to our next devotional thought. As we consider the idea of sacrifice... It's interesting that mercy always requires sacrifice. When I tell a, a daughter to do work, and if you do that work and we're going to go to get some ice cream, and they never do the work, but we still get ice cream, that's called mercy, but it's a sacrifice. Because I still have to do the work. Jesus, in order to let sinners go free, shows mercy but has to pay the cost. And the cost is great. And as we turn to our, our second word from the cross, we see someone that if they were outside the realm of mercy, if, if that were possible, this person would qualify. This person, the whole world thought was so evil that the way of death for them should have been the torturous crucifixion. That's what the world said this person deserved. This person had mocked Jesus on the cross, had said, save us if you are the Son of God. And yet, he has the audacity to throw a spiritual Hail Mary. This is a last-ditch effort. He has only breaths left in his lungs. And he asks if Jesus would remember him. And it's a scandal. It's a scandal. It is beyond unfair. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this, about workers in a field, that some worked all day and they got a wage, and some half the day, and some only an hour, and yet they all got this reward, and that's this thief. But it shows the patience of our God. I encourage you to read the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, you see this recurring theme again and again and again and again. Man and women, we were meant to rebel because of our sin. But God, he's just waiting for us to turn at any moment. 
Even if it's at the last moment, if you turn, he loves to show grace. He loves to show mercy, and it's a scandal. And today we remember, we're in the same position as the thief. We stand as sinners in need of the same grace. It doesn't matter when we came. It doesn't matter how we came. It doesn't matter what sins we've done. We're in the same position. And yet remember the posture of God. He's the father waiting for the prodigal. Waiting on the porch. So at the slightest instance of a turn, of a return to the father, he would run and wrap him in his arms and give him so much better than he deserved. That's what you get. That's what I get. In these beautiful words that we get paradise paradise. We are meant for a world where there is no more crying, there is no more pain, there is no more sadness, and you will have it because of Jesus. Our second lesson, it's a reading from Matthew. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. (laughs) They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our sins deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, do you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Word of God.
Imagine that you were told this is the last day of your life, and you're going to be given opportunity to say about seven sentences to the people that you love, to the people that are in front of you. Do you know what you would say with those seven sentences or so? Maybe in some cases a paragraph rather than a sentence? Well, Jesus obviously on the day of his death, is choosing his words very carefully here. His last opportunity to speak to the people of this world, to his own disciples, to his very mother. And sometimes I think we imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, true God himself, is, you know, way up here at the 30,000-foot level and doesn't really think too uh, emotionally about anything, but here we see the very, very human side of Jesus. Jesus is true God, and Jesus is also at one and the same time true man. And as he looks down from the cross, he sees two of the people that in his human nature he has come to love the most. It's, it's often said that it's hard to compete with the love a son has for his mother or the love a mother has for her son. And if we put ourselves in either of their seats on this day, you can imagine the agony wrenching the hearts of Mary and of Jesus. Also standing with his mother Mary is his, again, from a human standpoint, best friend in the world, the Apostle John. It even describes him here in our reading, which I'll read, as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And how does Jesus treat this moment? What words does he want them to have? And I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus is going to experience loss and grief and is already experiencing it as a human being as he thinks about the ending of this relationship that he's had with his mother Mary and with the Apostle John. If you were here on Sunday, you heard about a book, Upside Down Spirituality, written by a man named Chad Bird, and we got an awesome opportunity to sort of interview him and hear from him directly, and as he was talking, he talked about the fact that the last year had been very, very tough for him. Because he had lost first his son, 21 years old, I think, and then his father, one on top of the other, in just under a year. And he said it was agonizing for him, even as a a Christian leader, absolutely agonized to experience these losses. He talked about the loss of his father as being agonizing because it was the loss of all the past memories. But he said, actually, the agony of losing my son was worse because it wasn't just the loss of the memories that I had built with my son. It was the loss of the future that I had hoped for with my son. All those experiences we had expected to be able to live out together as father and son would not be happening. And it caused him a feeling of deep loss. I want you to think about Jesus and the words of Chad Bird as a human being 
one of the sacrifices beyond his own life that he's making on this Good Friday is the sacrifice of the loss and the grief that he's experiencing over these people that he loves so dearly, has such amazing memories with. But that experience of living together with them here is now going to be no more. Oh, yes, there will be future experiences. We know that. All hope is not lost. But this experience in this life of his friendship with John and his sonship to Mary will in just a few hours, if not a few minutes, be gone. How have you dealt with loss? Have you lost people in your life that were important to you? I know that there have been times in my life where I really struggled with loss. Sometimes over the smallest of things, a, a little possession that got dinged or scraped and was no longer as perfect as I wanted it to be. And of course, more important losses like the death of my dad and the death of my mom. And every time, I, I struggle with that. I've shared with you, when we moved back from Zambia, I felt intensely the loss of my friendships there and of my home there. I suffered badly. As Chad Bird said, he kind of did. I did not grieve well. I grieved sinfully at times. I was angry with God. I was upset over the loss. I lost... Hope for a while in some cases. Maybe you've gone through some of the same experiences. Isn't it beautiful to have a Savior who in intense pain on the cross, crucified, beaten, can look down and grieve perfectly, experience loss in just the way that we hope we would, in a way that honors the fourth commandment, woman, here is your son, and that honors Love your neighbor as yourself with John the Apostle. He did that not just because he's the son of God for himself. He did that for you as your perfect champion, as your hero, as the substitute who can now give to you his perfection. One of the greatest reasons we can call ourselves holy in the sight of God because where we have failed, whether it's in grief and loss or anywhere, Jesus fills in all those gaps for us with the Father. Near the cross of Jesus stood his father, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. We have an opportunity to confess our faith, and we do so with the words of the Apostles' Creed describing Jesus Christ and the work that he did on our behalf. Feel free to join with us. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. This is most certainly true. Suffering is confusing and it's chaotic. Suffering makes us ask questions that there aren't easy answers for. I love the book of Job. If you take a deep dive in the book of Job, you know his event of suffering lasts only a chapter or two. And the rest of the book of Job is him wrestling with his friends on the how and the why and the wherefore and how can I possibly go on. And Job was picked by God because he was righteous to be allowed to suffer in this way. We see that clearly. Which means if anyone deserved an answer to why all this happened, it'd be Job. God did reveal himself. And when God revealed himself, he invited Job to see how high he was and how small Job was. And if you know the story, he never got an answer. It didn't come. Rather, he was given an invitation to trust an almighty, a holy, a good God. Jesus suffers. And it's chaotic and it's confusing. It's so painful that we hear Jesus ask a question even though he knows the answer and we know the answer. He, he asks why. It's astounding. Jesus, you, you know why. <laughs> Before the creation of the world, the Godhead had put together a plan for the salvation of mankind and Jesus understood it meant his cross. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane knew what was coming. He knew why he was there. But what does this moment prove? This is the pain of suffering. This is how broken the world is. You and I know that. What makes suffering so confusing is that we as children of an almighty, heavenly, good father understand that our good father would never treat us this way. This is not good, what we experience, the waves of grief, the waves of loss, the pain and the heartache. Now, we know it was sin that broke the world. It wasn't God the Father. And perhaps suffering for us has one simple conclusion. We weren't meant for this world. We're not there yet. It's foreign. It's weird. It makes even the Almighty God ask why. And why? Because we know in our heart of hearts we're made for a better place. We're made for a God who gives us perfect love, joys unending, 
what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the joys of ours that will be forever in our God. But Jesus suffers. Why? So that someday we'll never suffer again. So we can know with confidence joys will last and sufferings will cease because of Jesus on the cross. We turn to our next lesson. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him, says the word of God.
I invite you to stand. At this time, we have a responsive of Isaiah 53. If ever there was a prophecy that pictured this day, it is from Isaiah chapter 53. You're invited to uh, say the parts that are in bold, and I will say the parts that are unbolded. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You grow up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Was a size and by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and roared our sin. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our iniquities. He was pierced for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He remains standing as we sing our next song. Salvation 
by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, always free. Please take a seat. Jesus' fifth word from the cross, I am thirsty. You know, they say that as you get older, and I unfortunately am getting older, you lose your health. And I always think about how gradually it comes on, and yet I also think about this saying that used to be everywhere. I don't know if it's said very much anymore, but it was, when you have your health, you have everything. Health is important to many of us, and in our country, we seem to have some of the best, though also sometimes some of the most expensive health care in the world, and yet health continues to decline as people age. Imagine all that decline, not stretched out over years and years, but packed into one day. Packed into one day because, as Dustin said earlier, sometimes we're not ready to live, leave this life until... What's left of this life is so little, and the pain of it is so great that we actually come to want and yearn for the next life in hope. And that word hope in the Bible is so important. Did you know that the word hope in the Bible is not a word like the English word? The English word hope is kind of, um, well, I would call it doubtful. 
but not the Greek word, not the biblical word for hope. It is a sure and certain hope. And so often, even though we know it's a sure and certain hope because of all that Jesus did on the cross and because, even more importantly, of what's coming on Easter Sunday, yet we're still reluctant to leave this life until most of what's pleasurable about this life is taken away from us. Now consider Jesus. 33 years old, young, strong, vibrant, healthy, until this day, until he is arrested, until he is beaten within a very inch of his life and is bleeding out all the, the water contained in the blood pouring out on the ground as they lay a heavy cross and say, carry this. And, and through the crowds carrying his own cross, he hears the mockery and the chants, probably following up with the very same chants that he must have heard at his trial. Crucify him. Imagine the discouragement of knowing that these were supposedly his chosen people now calling for his death in a brutal way. And so the struggle is not just physical, it's also emotional and spiritual in this moment. And drained, so drained that they have to have someone else, Simon of Cyrene, carry that cross to the hill called Golgotha for him. The cross is then laid down on the ground where he's nailed to it and then lifted and thumped into place. And then he bakes and suffocates for hours. I don't mean to paint a really ugly picture. It is an ugly picture, sad to say. And through it all, Jesus... Perfect health slowly drains from his body. And finally, talk about other sacrifices. Well, here it is. He gave up his body, his human body, so that that could be the perfect, flawless sacrifice for our sins. He gave up his health, his perfect health so that he could offer it on our behalf. Offer it on our behalf as the payment for sins. And so, here we come to Jesus' final words, and words that you really can't expect him to say anything else after all that has gone on. He's thirsty. And this is just one little uh, one little indication of all that he's given up in terms of his health and his bodies. What about, what about you? Can I ask? Do you recall Jesus saying to his disciples not long before 
the original Good Friday. If anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross and come after me. Whoever wants to follow me must be ready to lose his life for me, a.k.a. lose everything, including health and body. Jesus sacrificed his body for us. And now I ask you, as Jesus asked his disciples, are you willing to sacrifice your body, your life, your health in service to him, your time? Yes, Jesus, I love you, but uh, today I don't have time. Yes, Jesus, I love you, and I see your sacrifice for me, but Lord, you want me to sacrifice what for you today? And, and I think you know this, right? It's not just your church family asking for your service, but we live in a world now where it's going to get harder and harder to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. And it may be not too long from now, and I say this especially to the younger people in this church, when saying... I follow Jesus Christ may present a choice of you sacrificing your job or your reputation or your friends or even your family members. We see Jesus saying these three simple words, I'm thirsty, but there is so much more sacrifice behind that. And the question to us now becomes, are we thirsty? enough for Jesus and his grace and his salvation and his peace that we are willing to sacrifice all else in response to his first sacrifice for us. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. At this time, you're invited to join with me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art Lord in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy, thy name. name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Whenever you go shopping... You go to the checkout, and they give you a receipt. That receipt's very important, because if you walk through the gates and the alarms go off, you can take the receipt off out of your bag and show them, no, I paid for this item. The receipt has cash value. If you bring in that receipt to the store with that item, you can get your money back for the price you paid. The receipt is important as a security guard comes and finds you and, and accuses you of shoplifting. You can say, no, 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 I didn't shoplift. Here it is. To tell us die. 
It's a Greek word, and it can mean it is finished, but really it means paid in full. To tell us this idea that sins have been paid for once and for all. And that's hugely important because we are in spiritual warfare. And you have collectors coming at you all the time. Your enemy, the devil, is called the accuser. And he whispers in your ear every time you sin, I don't know if God's going to cover that one. Don't go to him. We have our own conscience. After we've done something we said we'd never do again. After we've done something that we hope no one finds out about. And our conscience convinces us we have to make up for it. We have to do so much better. We have to be so good so so ultimately we can pay the price. Cancel culture accuses us. Society is now chomping at the bit to say, you did that, you're done. You're gone. We have family and friends who don't understand, how could you ever fall? How could you do that? And they look down at us. Stay there, they say. You can never rise again. But on Good Friday, you're holding a receipt. This receipt not paid by us, but by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And talk about a gift. There is no greater gift. Silver and gold was way too cheap. If you inherited a million dollars, a billion dollars from one of your family members, it wouldn't come close to what Jesus shares. The lavish riches of his grace, his glorious grace, which is not about silver or gold, but what is it about? It's about the blood that he shed. And why? So that not just today, but every day, when you fall again into that sin, when you find a moment and you're like, I, I never thought I'd do this, you hold up that receipt of Jesus' cross and the blood that was shed, and you know it's covered. It's paid for. It's finished. We turn to our next lesson. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, excuse me, I read the wrong one, When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This next song is such a great song to sing from the depths of your soul that I'm going to invite you to stand once again. I 
Please be seated. The seventh and the final word of Jesus from the cross. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Why? Why did Jesus go through all this sacrifice, all this suffering? And how? How could he have borne up under such intense torture as his life ebbed away from him? And I, I think the answer isn't really all that hard, especially when we take into consideration what we just heard and what we're about to hear. Why does anyone allow himself to go through hard times and sufferings that they have chosen for themselves? Not that the world puts on them, not that someone else has imposed on them, but that, in fact, as Jesus says about his own death, that he chose for himself. And there can only be one answer, as there is only one answer for Super Bowl champions or for Major League Baseball World Series champions, for NBA champions... There can only be one answer, and that is there's a goal. There is an achievement. There is a dream, a hope, and that's exactly what Jesus had. And the interesting thing is different from all the dreams that I mentioned a few seconds ago, dreams for ourselves to be world champions, Jesus' dream was not for himself, but for us. Jesus' goal, Jesus' purpose, his deepest and truest purpose was you and me. To save us from our sins and get us to a point where one day, on the very most important day of our lives, and you know what the most important day of your life is, don't you? The very most important day of your life is the day that you die, and you hear, today you will be with me in paradise. On that day, Jesus wants all of us, through faith in him, as our Savior, to be able to say the same words that Jesus is saying to his Father here. To live and die in this hope that death is not the end of things. By no means. It's only the beginning of things. Death is only a door that we step through. And so we can say also, Father... Into your hands I commit my spirit. I will live on. And one day my spirit will be reunited with my body. And I will enjoy paradise, heaven, and eternity in your presence, Lord. Serving you and rejoicing every day 
in you, Father, into your hands. Just as Jesus said when he died, Father, into your hands, I am ready. If this is my moment, I commit my spirit into your hands. The seventh and final word. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things.
Fuck. 